But I'm not too worried about the COVID-19. Even if I get it, I don't think it will bother me that much. It's a scary situation, and I don't know what to do anymore. And I'm just so freaked out. I don't want to die. I don't want anyone to die. Whoever's behind this, they're going to get caught. And uh, then we'll have lots of fun with that. This is Richard Schwartz, your host for Lost in Transcription, and welcome to our special edition, Voice of a Virus. We're going to be talking about the concept of emotional distancing. A quick recap, our partners at Invibe Labs began collecting unique insights on how people's language, knowledge, and behaviors were changing during COVID-19. The research launched when there were only two diagnosed cases in the U.S. Well. Together with InVibe's head of listening, Beth Baldus, I have been tracking the research for the last five and a half, six months, and we've been fascinated by the evolution of this notion of emotional distancing in and around COVID-19. Now, if you work in patient engagement and support, there are some really interesting corollaries here to how emotions lead to actions or inactions. This is Voice of a Virus, part one, emotional distancing. Welcome back, Beth. Hi, Rich. So in our last episode, we teed up this concept of emotional distancing. Can you explain it a little bit? Sure, no problem. When we use the term emotional distancing, we are referring to the way people position themselves either far away from or close to what they're feeling or experiencing. In linguistics, it's often called uh, a face-saving technique, and you can see emotional distancing through language. It has extremes from, it isn't me, or it won't be me, and the other extreme is, it's all about me, and it's happening to me. In the work that we do with life sciences companies, we pay careful attention to the emotions and where people fall on this distancing spectrum. And this is critical at helping our day-to-day -day pharma clients understand how we need to support different mindsets. This really came to light in the COVID-19 research. As the nation moved more and more into social distancing, we saw an increase of emotional distancing, or basically language that removed personal risk. If you picture a range or a scale of emotional distancing, on one end is confidence in your own safety, security, a general lack of concern, and on the other end is something very much real that you're afraid of, worried about, and see as personally affecting you, whether you want it to or not. Let's listen to a clip from February when there were, I believe, 70 cases in the US at the time. What I want you to pay attention to is the way in which this speaker uses locations to remove herself from risk, as well as listen for what linguists call hedging. These are words and phrases that are markers of hesitation and can show up in words like maybe or probably, as well as through intonation and pausing changes. In this case, they act as markers of this speaker's reluctance to position herself or even imagine herself at risk creating that emotional distance. I heard that um, it was killing a lot of Chinese over there, that um, a lot of people were being separated and quarantined, um, traveling stopped. I, being in the U.S., I will not travel to China, never. Again, that was in late February and is fairly representative of what we were hearing across respondents. It was over there. 
This speaker uses locations, both where the virus is in China and where she believes it's not, the US, to frame COVID-19 as something she is just hearing about, something that's happening in another place. She's using physical distance to create emotional distance from the risk. You also most likely heard that uncertainty in her voice at times, those hedged phrases I mentioned. Um, she uses I guess and probably wouldn't. These hedges are markers of uncertainty, but in a really, really interesting way. She is so emotionally distanced that her language choices are showing us that even imagining herself at risk is a challenge. She can't even tell us confidently what she would do if she believed COVID-19 was a risk because she's so emotionally distanced from it. You know, I completely miss that difference between heard about and actually experiencing. I can relate to that though. I started out as a, it's not going to be so bad, it's overblown kind of a person. And within two weeks, I was telling my family, nobody's leaving this house. Well, I can tell you, Rich, you're not alone there. Oh goodness, you're not kidding. But as much as she was hedging to create emotional distance, we heard many people who were very self-assured. They were somehow special, even immune. Um, let's jump to week seven of our research, that first week of March. And this is an answer to a question about the impact COVID-19 is having on daily life. I have not changed any of my habits. I'm retired, so I stay home most of the time anyhow. Uh, if anything, the thing I worry about the most is going to the gym and possibly picking up uh, some virus off some of the equipment there. But I'm not too worried about the COVID-19. Even if I get it, I don't think it will bother me that much as much as uh, some of the other elderly uh, people that are in poor health but myself it, it doesn't bother me at all i haven't uh, changed anything of the way i'm doing things okay so this is an older person and he works out and he considers himself to be healthy and he says even if i get it it won't bother me that much but what else are we hearing here are we hearing a form of emotional distancing well we're hearing a few things that are all working together to keep the perception of risk far away and maintain that emotional distance and your ears may or may not have noticed but our acoustic algorithm picked up on high levels of dominance which is basically the confidence and control communicated by the voice specifically when he was talking in the beginning about not changing his habits and again and when he repeats he's not worried this confidence in the voice is used in conjunction with how he frames his response we specifically asked him how COVID-19 has impacted his life and he chooses to begin by saying it hasn't directly defying the prompt in addition he takes a really strong stance and by that I mean the way he's positioning himself in relation to the content of his talk but it is a strong stance that works to position COVID-19 and its impact as a concern to others and not to him. He does this by using heightened individualization of language, so that I language, saying myself while repeating it doesn't bother him. Even if COVID-19 is closer to home than that first clip we heard, it's still distant. And as we discussed earlier, that confidence that he's creating, that lack of risk and continued control is one way for us to keep up that emotional distance. So everything really sets in in mid-March when we were told to shelter in place at that time for 15 days. The U.S. was just over 13,000 cases at this point. Businesses were closing or restricting and people were dying and the curve as a new concept then didn't look very good. What happened to our emotional distancing? 
During that time, we saw that emotional distance narrowing for most people. Things were getting very real. So here's a representative clip from the week of March 16th, which seems like ages ago now, um, but I want you to listen for a few things. Repeated words, pauses, changes in tone after this respondent says the words worse and worse and worse. At first, I was thinking people are overreacting. It's getting too ridiculous. It's not going to be this bad. It's not going to be this big of an issue. But it seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. And other people are dying and not just old people. And it's becoming scary. And I'm scared now. And I'm worried about catching it. I'm worried about my son. I'm worried about my fiance who goes to work at construction off uh, places. I'm scared. It's a scary situation, and I don't know what to do anymore, and I'm just so freaked out. I don't want to die. I don't want anyone to die. It's just scary, and I'm freaked out. So what we just heard is a pretty big change in the emotional distance from people are overreacting to I don't want to die. And she says it with such absolute fear. We're seeing people removing personal risk early on, and now they're acknowledging it. Absolutely. In this clip, you can almost hear the emotional distancing shift happen in her language choices and her voice. First, she repeats, it's not going to be this bad. It's not going to be this big of an issue. But then she shifts to, I'm worried. I'm scared. What was a foreign, unidentified thing and it becomes realized and emotionally impactful to her personally. So she's clearly feeling out of control. It's clear that she needs support and a plan and some information to enable action. And if we circle back to the clip for just a moment, Rich, and just and compare this to the first one we listened to, there's a major difference. We heard hedging and over their positioning in clip one and a lack of a acceptance of the potential seriousness of the situation. This woman admits that she had been in that same mental place at first, but then you hear her really let her guard down because she has come to this new realization. It can be a major mistake, particularly in the brand work that we do, to assume that high emotion leads to action. If we listen again just to the last portion, I think you'll hear what I mean. It's a scary situation and I don't know what to do anymore and I'm just so freaked out. I don't want to die. I don't want anyone to die. It's just scary. She is paralyzed. Inside of 40 seconds, she says scared, worried, freaked out 10 times. Telling her to just wear a mask and wash your hands isn't going to be enough which is, you know, an equally treacherous place in health. That's so true. When extreme emotions take over, the obvious and the rational things can evade us, and it comes down to fight, flight, or freeze. Imagine, you know, you're in an, the exam room and you're feeling this way after receiving a diagnosis. You're most likely unable to process what you're hearing and potentially even to find words to articulate your questions. So we started to notice we were hearing some anger. What do you think that signals in terms of emotional distancing? The topic of anger is actually really interesting, Rich. Anger showed up in the early weeks and people were angry at China. This subsided as people kind of sorted through what they believe and went into survival mode, so to speak, as pandemic took over daily life. The longer they lived with the new order, 
uh, with no end in sight, anger came back. So here are a few clips starting in early April through the end of the month. Six weeks after we began to shelter in place, I think, as you listen, and if you want to play along as a linguist, uh, pay attention to lexical choices. So the words and phrases that these people are using, as well as their intonation shifts. Well, there's nothing open, not, nothing open around here right now because of our, our Michigan governor said everything's going to have to close down, which I don't agree with. Um, and uh, I feel fine. Um, but nothing's open, and, and, and that makes me kind of sad, and the economy's going downhill. And um, I don't like it. I think we need to restart our economy as soon as possible because whoever's behind this, they're going to get caught. And uh, then we'll have lots of fun with that. Um, it's impacted us greatly. Um, so we cannot do a lot of the projects that we had scheduled. Um, so with that, it's extremely maddening. Me personally, it's very disappointing and very sad and frustrating. I think frustrating is more of the word um, that we are locked in the house and stuck and haven't seen family or friends in, in a month. And uh, it's uh, basically not fair. So it's extremely Maddening is the word. I am somewhat angry with China for having kept this a secret uh, from our country as well as other countries, and I'm also sad that they got the the World Health Organization involved in helping them to cover this up. And I think it is something that will be remembered for many, many years to come. So in terms of emotional distance, we hear not only fatigue, but also frustration. And it has seemingly become very personal, as in, it has happened to me. It's also not in their control any longer. Someone else did it to them. And that's what the lexicon shows. We see them use words like stuck, locked in, shut down, all which point to an outside force being in control and not them. And if we return to that first clip that we played, we hear, you know, that revenge. And it's a bit sinister, actually, in language and tone. But also, if you remember, he says he feels sad. But when he says sad, he means mad. Uh, let's listen, listen again. Whoever's behind this, they're going to get caught. And uh, then we'll have lots of fun with that. When we get angry, we want something to blame. And blame sure is being assigned in this clip. And while it's unclear who he's referring to, it's someone punishable. Interestingly, in all the negativity in his answer, the one-time acoustic valence, the positivity in his voice spikes, is when he talks about this revenge. All right, Beth, I'd love to talk more about this and the nuances in our emotional proximity and distance, but we are out of time. Thank you and your team so much for all the great insights and analysis. That was just a sample, everyone, of how InVibe is hearing very specific longitudinal shifts in emotions and lexical choices as concern turned to fear. I hope you found it interesting, and if so, please visit InVibe.fm to subscribe, and please share it with your colleagues and with your friends.
In our next episode, we are going to explore some of the insights uncovered throughout the pandemic research from healthcare professionals across specialties and people with pre-existing conditions. What happens in the most extreme of situations has quite a bit of value on the other side of this, a place where I'm sure all of us hope we find ourselves really soon. This is Richard Schwartz, your host for Lost in Transcription. Thank you for being with us. Stay safe and don't forget, InVibe is always ready to help you listen.